0: Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissette, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor braving life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience Podcast. I'm your host Jeanette Blissett. Today we have a special guest, and her name is Michelle Glassburn. Michelle is a certified clinical hypnotherapist and coach. She received her certification in 2010 from the nationally accredited and respected Southwest Institute of Healing Arts in Tempe, Arizona. Michelle works with all sorts of clients to help them access their subconscious programming to reach their highest potential and clear out all that unwanted programming and junk that may be holding them back. Michelle specializes in anxiety, insomnia, motivation, performance, and professional anxiety, stress, trauma, and much, much more. You can learn more about Michelle and her hypnosis by visiting her website, www.thoughtfulhealing.net. Michelle? welcome to today's episode.
1: Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you for having
0: me. As I talk with individuals that I come across in the day to day and uncover some of the angst that they have, I always think to myself, are they doing the work? Right. Tell us a little bit more about your background and how you enter into your next chapter as it relates to the work that you do.
1: Well, uh, (laughs) I came by it by surprise as often happens. It wasn't anything that was ever in my life plan. I had been married for a very long. time to an airline pilot, had a pretty nice standard of living. And then I found out he was having an affair and I had always been a stay at home mom. My older son had had a congenital heart defect that just kind of prevented me from being a working mom. So my then husband was my sole source of financial support. So it was pretty terrifying. It was pretty traumatic. And I had kind of dipped my toe back into the acting pool because that was really my true passion. I always intended to go to Hollywood and be rich and famous. And somehow I took that left turn to Vegas and ended up married with children. So a fellow actor friend of mine is like, I really think you should go take these hypnotherapy courses from this school. It's right down the street from you. He's like, I really think it'll help you get through what you're going through and give you some clarity and and some healing. And I'm like, okay, because at that point for me, the trauma was so severe that if somebody said, look, you need to, you know, get naked, paint yourself green and run down the street with your hair on fire and you'll feel better, I'd have done it. (laughs) <laughs> so the hypnotherapy thing sounded so much better. And it was fascinating when I got there, I had no idea. I had always been interested in holistic healing, particularly with my my older son and my younger son had migraine headaches. So I had done a lot of that, but I hadn't really looked into the subconscious mind. I mean, I'd taken some psychology courses. And so, you know, I knew the id and super id and all that kind of thing, but I hadn't really learned what our subconscious does. And so when I started to take these courses, again, for my own personal use, I was amazed at what I was learning about our subconscious mind. And back then, this was in 2010, the research was saying that our subconscious was in charge of roughly 80 to 85% of our total mind. Well, now the latest research is saying that our subconscious actually controls 97%, that our conscious thoughts are only, right, 3% of our total mind. So the subconscious stores everything. It's got all of your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, your experiences, and the programs you create around that. And so if you really want to get to the root of a problem and really make profound changes as quickly and easily as possible you want to do it with your subconscious mind because that's where your power is
0: calling a book that I read recently well not the entire book because it's pretty deep you got to take it into the sections is <laughs> the habit of being yourself by Joe Dispenser and mm-hmm. it talks about how to unravel some of the stuff he talks about identifying the problem admitting and declaring it and then surrendering so I just wanted to kind to check back with you and find out what's part of the process that you use as you're working with any particular client.
1: Well, I mean, each client is an individual. So you, you apply the principles, you know, individually, basically you want to help them get in touch with their subconscious programming because again, that's where their power is. That's where the answers are. That's where if you need to shift things or release things, that's where you want to do it. So when I got my training, you know, we learned a variety of techniques. I mean, the the biggest thing with hypnosis is basically it's a form of guided meditation. So that's usually our go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I use visualization a lot. And in my mind, and other people may disagree. And that's great. That's one of the wonderful things is there's so many different modalities out there that you can find to help yourself, I kind of can them two separate things with a guided meditation. I consider that more along the metaphorical path that our subconscious mind likes to work with. It, you know, works in metaphors and imagery and that kind of thing, but you can also use visualization, which for me, you're still in a state of relaxation, but it enters your conscious mind just a little bit more. Um, I used to do this when I was in LA working with actors on audition anxiety, where I would literally have them imagine going through an audition experience because I wanted them to become aware of the thought and the feelings uh, in their their body and their mind and what they were saying to themselves. And so that was a much less metaphorical and a more realistic experience. Is that the most I mean,
0: typical of the people that you work with, or you find that are attracted to your practice Are those who suffer from those kinds of anxieties? That's something most common in, in what you actually do in your practice? Yes. Yeah.
1: Because I, you know, I, again, when I got the training, it was strictly for myself. And, and after my divorce, I ran off to Hollywood to be rich and famous. And I ended up working with a lot of actors that were like, oh my God, you're so calm at auditions. How are you so calm? Well, here's how. And so they would be like, can you help me? So I kind of ended up being guided to that path of helping people with professional anxieties. And it's kind of morphed. My uh, ex-husband, as I mentioned, is an airline pilot Well, when he was going through pilot training in the Air Force, he failed his first check ride. Didn't do anything really terrible, but he failed it nonetheless. So that created a program for him. And from that moment on, anytime he had to do a check ride, it would cause him severe stress and anxiety. And stress, they now know is the number one cause of illness. It lowers your immune system. So from that moment on, anytime he had to have a check ride, he was always sick every time he had to do it because of the stress. There was a program that had been created that needed to be addressed. And I find that with a lot of professional people that have to show proficiency. So like law enforcement, they have to go to the shooting range, Uh, real estate people that have to pass a real estate test or insurance. There is a lot of professional anxiety that comes out there. That's basically a performance anxiety because you have to do something in front of somebody and prove that you're proficient. Mm -hmm. So I did kind of end up working with a lot of those people, but then it was kind of funny. I also had my woo-woo group that I did just for my own personal thing, meditations, and that kind of thing. And so I ended up working with a separate group more in the, line, the lines of, you know, opening up to your own inner intuition, you know, mm. being able to trust your own inner guidance, um, that type of thing. So I, I kind of had these two separate things. So, of course, the woo woo group, they were more into the flowery imaging, that kind of thing. And the other ones were more along what I called the visualization, where it, they needed to have their conscious mind engaged just a little bit more because they weren't quite ready to surrender to the experience the way some of the other people that were used to meditating were. But then I also started working because of my experience with partners who had been betrayed in relationship. Um, That's a really hard trauma for a lot of people to get past to have somebody you trust so completely in most cases break that trust. So I I
0: kind of worked, I I kind of had an eclectic uh, practice. In fact, I was listening to a podcast recently, and the topic was whether or not we as human beings are capable or designed to be monogamous. And I listened just this morning, I had this, this thought, you know, because I know that there are some uh, some animals who uh, are designed or created to have one partner. and I wonder how much of it is really discernment and a choice that as it relates to being in a committed relationship and then stepping outside of that relationship, even though we're not created or designed to be monogamous, I'm wondering, is that just a simple choice? Well,
1: like you said, there's so much that goes into that. And there's so much research that, you know, some people believe that we aren't designed. And then other people are like, yes, we are because of the discernment. In talking with the people I've talked with, I firmly believe it is a choice. You make that choice to decide whether you're going to be committed, whether that's important to you, whether your vows mean something. And, And I don't say that in, you know, to be judgmental to other people. Although I do believe we all have judgments. We're, we're built that way. We can't help it. what we do with our judgments that I personally believe matters. But a lot of people, surprisingly enough, my ex-husband included, they make a very definite plan to step outside of their marriage or their relationship. They make a plan and they execute it. So I think it's the same way. You make that plan to stay within your marriage and it's not going to be all, or your relationship, you know, whether you're married or not, going to be smooth sailing, but it's up to you to decide what's important to you and then to act accordingly. And using the tools that's out there. There's particularly now more than ever, there's so many tools that you can use to get through the hard times to uh, grow with one another, to you know, shift your perceptions and learn to do something differently. But that's just my own personal opinion based on my personal experience and the people that I've worked with.
0: Mm-hmm. So with the people that you work with who experience the trauma, and we you just stick here for a second, then I would like to go to the performance anxiety because I, I talked to a lot of people who are in that space as well. But as it relates to relationships, trauma that visuals are are faced with, or have experienced in relationship, what are some of the things or just the process that you use to get them unstuck from that so they can open themselves up to either forgiveness, or I'll just say it moving on,
1: right. And and I always tell them that I'm like, there's a big wide range of forgiveness. I mean, it's very core forgiveness is just simply not allowing that person's actions to affect you anymore. It doesn't mean you have to like that person doesn't mean you have to have anything to do with that person anymore. You know, you can certainly set the boundaries. And as I say, I'm a big fan of, you know, what the the Russians used to say about the czar, you know, may God bless him and keep him far, far from me. That is my personal thing with my ex-husband. But forgiveness can also be, you know, allowing a relationship again, again, it's a personal thing. But what I have found, um, again, for me personally, and with the people I've worked with, I think the biggest thing that betrayal does that has the most impact on us is it totally and completely destroys our self-esteem, and without that self-esteem, we don't have any personal power, and we can't feel good about ourselves. And so that's really the first step I work on is helping people who've been betrayed and are are stuck in that that trough of feeling terrible about themselves is to regain their self-esteem, regain their sense of personal power, because from that place, then you can make good choices and decisions for yourself. And so when somebody comes to me with betrayal, I don't automatically automatically say, Oh my God, you've got to end that relationship. I tried to save my marriage wasn't the smartest choice. I'll be honest, but I've been married for a really long time and I valued my family. I'm not one of those advocates that, you know, if somebody cheats, they're a horrible person. There's a variety of reasons for what we do. And I'm always one that says, you know, we make mistakes, what we do with those mistakes that matter. But that's what I've found is that you've really got to get yourself back up and into a place where you can feel good about yourself because then you can make choices. You can decide whether this is a relationship worth saving for you, whether this is a relationship you need to walk away from. And if you're going to walk away, how can you do it with the most kindness and compassion possible so that you both end up not having to carry such heavy baggage as you move forward? So that's that's really the first step I try to do with somebody who's dealing with, with betrayal or trauma, of, you know, an, a relationship is you've got to get your feet back under you before you can move forward in any significant way. Otherwise, you're just moving forward from fear and desperation. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, you do not make good choices that way. It seems to be appearing pairing. People who are naturally givers and healers and caretakers tend to attract the narcissists. They're attracted to that because those people are easy to control. And narcissists are very charming. Um, I would classify my ex-husband as a narcissist and very charming and they are hard to get away from Uh, unless they do something where you're just like, yeah, you are dead to me, which is what I have done. (laughs)
0: So as we shift the conversation a little bit to those who have that performance anxiety or those roadblocks that get in the way of them having either breakthroughs or what what uh, another person calls a break-in to themselves. Right. You know, tell us a little bit more about some of the, the, the cases that you've worked with where there has been success and also talk about the process in terms of length of time that you work with individuals.
1: You know, the length of time, a lot of people want to know that. The recent research on on hypnotherapy is that six sessions of hypnotherapy therapy can be as beneficial as a year or more of talk therapy, just depending on how ready and willing you are to accept the suggestions that are being offered to you during the hypnosis. Wow. But I have had one client, I had a, a client when I was, like I said, in LA, and I was working with actors. He uh, is an actor from Chicago, and like he would come into LA once a month for auditions and things. And I was running a, a session, you know, a package session there, and he, he bought a two session package. And so we went to do our first thing. And I said, Okay, tell me what you know, you're needing. I mean, I know this is about it, audition anxiety, but we can work with whatever you know, you really, your problem is. So he said to me, and I had to laugh. I told him, I said, oh my gosh, I've got to take off my hypnotherapist hat for a minute, put on my fellow actor hat, because this is funny. He wanted to work in film and television, but the camera freaked him out. Every time the red light went on the camera that said it was recording, it freaked him out. (laughs) So I was like, okay, you sure you don't want to do theater? He's like, no, I really want to do film and television. So he wanted to get over that, you know, being freaked out by the camera. And I'm like, okay. So we ran a session and and an actor, actual session is usually somewhere around 60 minutes, you know, depending on the talk beforehand. And then the actual meditation part of it is usually 20 to 30 minutes or so. And then, you know, the degree briefing talking afterwards. So I went through the thing and and, um, most of my sessions, hypnotherapists, we have scripts that other people have written. We're taught how to write our own scripts. I do most of mine intuitively in the time that I'm there. So sometimes I'll take bits and pieces of scripts I know, or other times I'll just let myself be guided to what I need to say based on what they've told me in the intake. So Ray, we did the session and, and he had to fly out and he was like, you know, I'll do the second session next month when I came back in. I'm like, okay, great. So he comes back in next month. And I said, okay, so tell me how the camera anxiety is going. And he looked at me, he goes, oh my God. He said, you know what? I never even thought about this, but he said, I had an audition the very next day in Chicago. He said, I never even thought of the camera. I haven't thought of the camera since. So in that instance, he was a one and done, which happens, but rarely. Usually you've got to have at least a couple of sessions because you've got to get that initial experience under your belt and then you can kind of really work on what you're looking for. Uh, Like I said, the research now is recommending six sessions, but it's really based on the individual and how ready and willing they are to actually address their problem and apply what, you know, the therapeutic value is of the session.
0: That was going to be my next question in terms of the applying or the activation of what it is they, they are in touch with. With when they are working with you, you know. So, I'd like to just better understand that, you know. So, they might have growth work to do or is it something consciously that they're they're being instructed to do as as they work with you and Well, what I do is, you know, when we do the session and then I run
1: through either the meditation or the visualization or we have a thing called active imagination, which is literally talking with yourself that you get answers. Depending on what we do, then I will offer them steps that they can do to maintain the work we did. So sometimes it's, you know, journaling, sometimes it's self-hypnosis. When you're getting ready to drift into sleep, that is one of the most powerful, natural hypnotic trance times that you can have. So I always tell people what you are thinking about as you are going into sleep is what your subconscious mind is going to work with all night. So really make sure that you're feeding your mind something good as you're going into sleep. Give yourself something to work with. So a lot of times I'll give them suggestions to do that as they're drifting off to sleep to continue to work. Um, other times it's, you know, using binaural beat or, you know, other types of meditations. Uh, I have some on my website and then there's a bunch of wonderful ones. So it just really depends on where they're at, what they're looking for and where they are in their process. You know, people that come to me that already have a meditation process and practice, they're a lot easier to work with in that instance because they're familiar with visualiz- you know visualization in their mind and how to access their subconscious. If somebody comes to me and they're like, I have no idea, then again, it's baby stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, again, as you're drifting off into sleep, here's what I want you to focus on. Let's see. And, and usually I tell people once you've offered, because that's what I really do as a hypnotherapist, I am offering your subconscious mind suggestions. Mm-hmm. And it's really up to your subconscious mind to decide to take the suggestion or not, which is why, you know, with weight loss, they used to do aversion therapy and they found out it didn't work. You know, if you came in and say you had a cookie addiction, they would put you in the- trance and they would tell you, Oh, cookies taste like dirt and you don't like cookies and blah, blah, blah. Well, your subconscious is there to protect you. And so it'll never take a suggestion that you know is not true. Mm. And so, you know, depending on how suggestible you are, you might take that suggestion for a day or a week, or maybe even a month, but eventually your subconscious is going to go like, mm, Nope, cookies are good. They taste good. And I like them. So what we found is you can't use that technique because it doesn't work with the subconscious mind. So what you have to do is, you You know, if somebody comes to you and they're like, I really want to eat less cookies and I want to eat better. You have to find out for them. Okay. You enjoy cookies. They're tasty. I get it. What else do you enjoy eating that could be healthy? You know, do you enjoy fruit or do you enjoy this? You find something else and then you offer them a substitution So rather than than getting that positive uh, feedback from their cookie, if they enjoy, say, strawberries or melons or whatever the healthier choice is, you offer them that suggestion that that's what they're going to go for first, that, you know, rather than the cookie, they're going to enjoy the melon. And that works much better because you're still giving them something they enjoy and they're more likely to take that suggestion. So that's what I tell people. I'm like, you actually are driving the bus and I'm just navigating through and offering you the suggestions that I believe, based on my Training and what we've talked about are going to be of the most benefit for you. But it's mm-hmm. up to you to decide whether you're going to take those suggestions
0: or not, and what you're going to do with them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: interesting because I actually have that conversation with myself consciously. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. In the real, where I'm thinking, hmm, should it be this or should it be that? And then mm-hmm. I say to myself, you know how much you love pomegranates, especially during this time of year. Pomegranate or chocolate? Pomegranate <laughs> or <right>. chocolate? I'm <laughs> no, I negotiate with myself on that. But at least you're aware of it and you know that you've got that ability. So that's right there. Absolutely. Now you mentioned something that piqued my interest Um, as you drift off to sleep. okay, Mm -hmm. A lot of people are suffering from a lack of sleep, be it insomnia where they can't fall asleep or they can't stay asleep, one or the other. So I find that in talking to a lot of people that they complain that they don't get enough sleep or they can't fall asleep or they get up too early. So what, you know, how do you work with those type of people? Oh.
1: Well, when I'm working with insomnia, I usually will, uh, you know, find out what it is. I mean, sometimes there are physiological causes. So I'm like, you know, okay, have you had a physical, you know, do you know, this is a mind issue or a body issue or a combination there? And we're so stressed out and we have so much that we really don't know how to move from that fight or flight response that we're in most of the day to that, you know, uh, rest and digest phase, which is when you start to relax and and you start to go into the thing. So a lot of times I will work with them using a guided meditation to help them start the relaxation process. So, you know, as you're getting ready for bed, you can't just go like if you're working on your computer and you're doing emails and you're doing this and doing this and you're like, oh my God, I got to go to bed. And so you go in and you brush your teeth and you get in bed. Your mind is not going to settle down. Just not. I mean, that's not how we're built. So you've got to have some sort of practice that suggests to your mind, okay, it's time to shut down. It's time to relax. There's a lot of really wonderful, wonderful breathing technique. Um, there's one, they call it the numbered breath and you'll see it in different things. It really doesn't matter what numbers you use. The idea is, is that by counting your breath, you're engaging your conscious mind in with your subconscious. And that allows you to relax. So the way I do it is I inhale for four, I hold for a count of four, I exhale for a count of seven. And I do that until I start to feel myself relaxed. So when I first started working on that numbered breath, I had to do that breath several times before I started to feel any kind of relaxation from it. But it's just like muscle memory. So the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And so now even just talking about the the numbered breath and being like, oh yeah, I inhale for four, it starts to bring that that sense of relaxation to me because I'm used to doing it. Other people do a 477 or 747. So like I said, the number really doesn't matter. It's just engaging your body and your mind together. That's a great way to start relaxing. Then the other thing is, is that if you have a bedtime routine where you're like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to dim the lights. I'm going to get away from the blue light, which, you know, makes it hard for us to head into the circadian rhythms. I'm going to have a cup of chamomile tea or I'm going to have it this. So a lot of times that's what I tell people. You really need to have a bedtime ritual that tells your brain it's time to stop. It's time to calm down. It's time to relax. It's time to get ready to sleep. And then I will do, you know, meditations with them where it it sets that um, suggestion into their mind that once you get into your bed, you find your body relaxing, you find your mind quieting, you know, whatever it is that they need specifically that help them shift that process into a time to relax and be able to sleep.
0: Well, there's a lot being written about what can help or will help people to have the type of environment or create the environment in their home or in their bedroom that's conducive to deep sleep or restful sleep, lowering the temperature in the room, Mm -hmm. completely blacking everything out, wearing a sleep mask. The other thing is the the weighted blankets with, I I cannot do the weighted blankets, it's just No,
1: I can't either. I I need to move. But again, you know, everybody's out with speak to them. So yes, research has shown that we definitely sleep better in a cool room. We definitely sleep better in dark. You know, I tell people again, don't fall asleep to the TV. Just don't, just don't, 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 don't. Um, My progressive induction for my hypnotherapy clients, I might do this. And, And basically what I have them do, depending, I have a couple of different ones. And a lot of people will tell you, oh, relax from your feet up. And I'm like, no, because you're bringing up, you're taking your consciousness up. Start from your head down. You want everything to go down. You're giving that suggestion of going down because you want to Go down into sleep. You want to go down into relaxation. Um, so you know, it's very simple. You just start by by breathing, you know, taking in the nice deep, relaxing breaths, bring your awareness to the muscles of your head and your neck. Notice if there's any tension or tightness. And if there is, as you, you know, release the breath, you release that tension, you allow those muscles to soften and relax. And if you take the time to do that, now people are like, oh, it doesn't work because they think they're going to be re- relaxed immediately. And I'm like, no, you got to go at the top of your head. And in your forehead, in your face, and your neck, usually by the time you get down to your chest with my clients, when I watch them in my chair, I can see their face is visibly relaxed. Their breathing has deepened. But I'm like, sometimes you have to do that a couple of times, depending on how agitated you are to bring your body back into that, you know, state of awareness of relaxation. But there's so many tools that are out there, but you know, the sad thing is now with the instant gratification, people want it immediately and they're not willing to give it a little bit of time. And again, like I said, it's it's muscle memory. So the first time you do it, you only may get a small level of relaxation. But the more you do it, the
0: deeper it gets and the easier it gets until you've got a tool that can help you relax. It's interesting when you mentioned going down, down. I remember the first experience I had with or hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And it was to get over a fear of being in tight quarters, tight spaces. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I remember when I felt myself going under. I got frightened. Yeah, it was frightening that I didn't seem consciously to have the control. And when he would say deeper and deeper and deeper, I panicked for some reason. Why is that? Because it's a loss of control.
1: People don't like to be out of control. And so you felt, so see, when I work with my clients, I always assure them that even if they go so deep into trance that they are not consciously aware, that they really feel like they're in an unconscious sleep state, your subconscious is still in control. And so if anything were to happen, if you were to feel uncomfortable, if you no longer wanted to be in that state, you can and will bring yourself out of it. And I've had clients do that who have been so deep, they're snoring. And people are like, how do you know that they're not asleep? And I'm like, well, you don't really until you go to wake them up. Uh, When you go to wake them up, if you tell them eyes open, fully aware, they open their eyes. They were in a trance. They weren't asleep. People that are asleep don't usually wake up just because you tell them eyes open. (laughs) So I haven't had a client actually fall asleep on me, but I have had several snore. And so, you know, they've been gone. They've been out. But I've also had them work on some things where they either got the answer they needed and they were done with the session. And so they just opened their eyes, (laughs) which always freaks me out because I usually have more to do. (laughs) And when they do that, then I'm like, okay, I had a whole spiel and, (laughs) but all right. (laughs) Or if they're uncomfortable, they will bring themselves back out because they're not ready and willing to do that. Mm -hmm. So I always make sure that I really let my clients know you are in control. Doesn't matter how deep into trance you go. Doesn't matter whether consciously you become unaware you are still in control. And then part of mine, this is just for me because I've worked with some people like you where they had a, a bad experience at first and they're not comfortable or they're, they're leery about losing control. I always have them start before we do any kind of work to imagine themselves in a safe space. And from within this space to know that they are safe, they're in control and you know, it's okay to allow themselves to let go and do the work because that yeah. they're not, but that's really what it is. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, you know, the first time you come and work with somebody, particularly if you don't really know them, you're not going to go very deep into trance because you're not going to be comfortable enough to allow that control to let go. So I'm like, your first experience is really just to lay some groundwork and build some rapport so that you can feel safe enough to really do the work and that kind. Mm -hmm. Again, we create these subconscious programs and they come from a variety of things, but generally they come from an experience we've had. So somewhere, somehow, you know, you've created a program where to allow yourself to drift into that space isn't safe for you. And I don't know why. And that's the neat thing I tell people about hypnosis. I'm like, here's the thing. You can have an issue. I had a woman who had a trauma when she was 12. She's tried several times to regress back to that trauma and her subconscious mind will not let her do it. So she came to me for help, but she was terrified. And I'm like, here's the thing. You don't need to know what happened. What you know is that before whatever happened, happened, you were this way. And after you were this way. So all you need to know is what are the feelings you want to get rid of? And what are the feelings that you want to have instead? I'm like, that's really all we need to work on and release that. Whatever happened, clearly your subconscious has decided that it's in your best interest not to revisit it. And so you don't have to in order to heal. So it's the same thing with you. We don't need to actually consciously know why you've got this thing in order to release it and heal it and let you move forward. You know, I actually was doing virtual sessions back in 2013 because like I said, I worked with a lot of actors and so I would have actors from New York and and Chicago and Dallas, uh, they would reach out to me. And so I I was doing sessions on Skype, because that was the thing at the time. That's how long ago it was. They're just as therapeutic as doing an in-person session. The only thing that's different is the energetic deal. I did have an actor who worked with me mostly over the internet. And then he came to LA and we had an in-person session. And that's what he told me. He said, you know, it was equally as beneficial each way. But he's like, I definitely could feel your energy. And that was a little extra piece of calming. So I try to project it now over the, you know, the, the internet as well, but there's just something with being in person, but as far as it being therapeutic, as far as you getting the same results, there's really no difference. The lady that trained me, she used to do hypnotherapy sessions over the phone. I don't love that idea because I like to be able to see my client because I can tell things by your facial expressions. I can tell whether you're, you know, relaxed enough, or I can tell if whatever you're working on is causing you distress and I I need to deal with that. I can see things. So that's, I always tell my clients when we work virtually, I'm like, here's the thing. You need to be able to hear me clearly. And I need to be able to see you clearly.
0: (laughs) That's what I need for virtual. Totally understandable. So as we're in this state of reality from the world stage. Okay, everyone's kind of in this fishbowl together. And we've got a lot of a a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety about a lot of things. So we have not only adults, but now we have the children who are filled with anxiety as well. What's the age range of your clients? Or what's something that you have put into place in terms of who you work with and and things of that nature?
1: Well, just because of the things I work with, I normally work with adults, but I've worked with a few children. and, And I did actually have one little boy, I think he was probably uh six or so, and he was very timid and afraid to try new things. And so his mom had had hypnosis done for her when she was a child and really thought it would be beneficial. So you can work with children pretty much really any age range, as long as they can listen and focus to you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, because you need to have them use their imagination. But one of the uh, best techniques I found, and I share this with parents, yes, I would love you to call me because I am a business and, and paying my bills is fabulous but here are things that you can do to help your own children. You encourage them to use their imagination because that's really what we're doing with hypnotherapy. So I encouraged this mom, the little boy and I did some sessions, but I said, I encourage you, to have him tell you a story. And in that story, he's his own hero. And so as his own hero, he overcomes this. And as he tells you this story and he makes it up, he's actually going to be processing that through his subconscious. So that's one of the best things that parents can do with kids now that are afraid that have been given such a dose of fear, right or wrong over current events and things that are going on is encourage your children to make up stories where they're the heroes of their own life and how are they the hero and what do they do? And how does that feel? That's what I always tell people, the subconscious works with feelings. And so you really want to connect to that feeling. So as you're having your kid connect with being brave and overcoming things, really have them explain to you how that feels to be the hero of their own story, to be brave, to feel, you know, confident or whatever it is that they, they they're working on. And that's one of the best things you can do for kids right now. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. And in fact, I
0: think that advice is great for adults as well. <laughs> it is true. We're just not as good as making. Up stories I found, you not the not the hero stories. I mean, <laughs> a lot of other stories. You know, the "what was me" story, "is pity me" story, and all the rest yeah, of that stuff. You're right. We are very good at that story. I stand corrected. You're yeah. absolutely right it is definitely time to change the narrative around the victim mentality.
1: Yes, yes, yes. That's a big thing around people that have been betrayed as well as, you know, it does tend to, to put you into that victim story. And that's another thing you want to do is, you know, like you said, shift that story from being a victim to, to being a, I hate to say even survivor, because you don't want to be just a survivor. You want to be somebody who thrives. So you really do have to shift your story and, and words are powerful. What we tell ourselves is powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one of the, the, my mantras is that mindset is everything. So the things that you tell yourself set you up for success, or maybe sometimes failure. Well, absolutely.
1: I mean, um, you know, the quote that's attributed to Henry Ford, you know, whether you think you can, or you think you
0: can't, you're right. That's true. Absolutely. Well, I really, really have enjoyed our conversation today. I think it was something that um, I was looking forward to since we met. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you agreeing to be a guest on the Next Chapter Experience podcast. And um, you know, the thing is, we get a chance to uh, write our own Story and whatever is in the next chapter for most people is what they envision. In fact, yesterday I was talking with a young lady who's an attorney and is she has made a decision to leave the company that she's with with currently because she's stressed out and she's not enjoying the experience. And um, we were in a group, it was about four of us talking. And one of the ladies in the group made a comment that went something like, well, whatever you do, as soon as you finish this job assignment, jump into another one. And that was really counter to what I was thinking. I was thinking, breathe, have an opportunity for for yourself to breathe. And then you can start making the decisions about what you want to do next. Yes. And I think, and I see this in relation
1: relationships all the time. People are so afraid. Of taking some time and getting to know themselves that they do jump right into things. And oftentimes it's not in their best interest. So, you know, a new relationship, another job, you do want to give yourself some time to step back and assess and learn the lessons that you need to learn from that experience so that you don't have to recreate that experience to learn
0: those lessons again. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we, we didn't beg to differ. It was just a different perspective. And for that other individual, for her being unemployed for more than four months, caused a lot of anxiety yes. for her. And if the other young, young woman that we were talking with, her situation is completely different. She didn't have that anxiety. So I'm oh. like, don't transpose your anxiety on her because she's not even in that space. She's going to enjoy the heck out of the time that she has, uh, downtime that she has after she leaves this position and um, enjoy it for the length of time she can and then figure out what she wants to do next so it was just one of those different stuff of, of um, perspective And
1: it is and again and that's why I always tell people I'm like you know what listen to everybody's perspective here's the thing just because that's their perspective doesn't mean you have to follow it but if you listen to everybody's mm-hmm. viewpoint then you can decide what resonates for me what makes sense for me mm-hmm. you may be one of those people where I need to be employed right away and if you do great move forward in that direction if you're one of those people that are like no I can take some time I can assess I always tell people if you allow yourself to listen you know in your gut what feels right to you and that's what you should do regardless of how much advice you get from people that you may admire and trust you still at the end of the day have to do what feels right for you
0: mm-hmm. well Michelle I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation thank you so much for being our guest I'm sure that others will find that this talk has been valuable to them as well so thank you very much
1: oh you're welcome Jeanette it was my pleasure I enjoyed it as well and do you have any more questions just reach out let me know I'm happy to answer them
0: I will I will and for everyone listening I will put Michelle's information in the show notes along with her website information so if you have any type of question you can reach out to her and I'm sure she'll get back with you as soon as you can so thanks so much for this conversation
1: you're welcome Jeanette thank you
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lisette at NextChapterExperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.